At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Put our hands together. You may be seated, friends. Thank you, worship team. How many of you want to bless God for the worship team? Hallelujah. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. So uh, I think also fitting as we sing this song, above all, uh, we're in this series that we've been in now. This is our second week called This Forgotten Virtue. The Forgotten Virtue, Learning How to Love Again. We bless our children as they go to kids' ministry. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we bless you. The series about this forgotten virtue, John kind of had an above all in his epistles as well. He talked about three things that I think uh, were the, the, the message throughout all of his letters. You know, he, he says six times in his letters that he wrote with a purpose, and the purpose was to tell his hearers and his listeners that anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John talks a lot about the world in quotes, and he's talking about creation sometimes. He's talking about all the people of the world sometimes. But as he talks about this love of the world, he's talking about a system that has an assist from Satan that is in defiant opposition to God our Father in heaven. So this is the world that he's talking about. John also addresses love and sin deeply and how they're all intertwined. The love of the Father, the love of the world, the world itself, the system that's set in opposition to God, sin, and, and, and how we're called to be his witness, to be his people, to be his children. And what is he talking about when he talks about the world and really what the world offers and what the world is? And why is he addressing our affections going towards them and saying that the love of the Father is not in them? We need to define it a little bit. It's, it's the world that is materialistic consumerism. It's the world that is hedonism, right? I'm, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to go get whatever I want, however I want. It's the world of cultural comfort. It's the world of political parties that promise things that only Christ can promise. It's the world of systemic oppression. It's the world of, of, of a system structurally that is actively in disobedience to God. So when John says over and over again six times, anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the love that he's talking about. That kind of love of the world is the kind of love that God hates. That kind of love is the love that God rejects. And our big idea for today is that God rejects the love the world embraces. God rejects the love the world embraces. We're going to see this fleshed out in two points today. So turn, go ahead and turn your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to cover verses 12 through 17 today. And the first three verses of our text, verses 12, 13, and 14, are uh, foundational. And we need them to support our understanding of verses 15, 16, and 17. 15, 16, and 17 carry with it some commands and some commandments of what we're called to do and who we're called to to be and without 12, 13, and 14, we might miss it. John uses this identity language in these first three verses and, and reminds us how we're God's children, that we're forgiven, that Christ is our Savior, our Redeemer, that God is our Father and heaven is our home. So he says, Why do you accept these things from the world that are passing away? 
Why do we love the world and, and allow love to come to us from the world that's just fleeting and it's going to go away? And his first encouragement is to embrace who you are in Jesus. So friends, together today, as we look at the, that God rejects the love the world embraces, the first point is that we have to embrace who we are in Jesus, to fully embrace who we are in Jesus. And although we can't embrace one another physically uh, in this strange season, look to your right and look to your left and say, brother, sister, I embrace you. Go ahead, give, give somebody a, a, a distance hug, a, a virtual greeting, so to speak, because we have to embrace who we are in Jesus. Let's look at verses 12, 13, and 14 of 1 John chapter 2. And remember, we talked last week about repetition, that anytime things show up repeatedly in Scripture, you can, uh, a, a light can go off that you can know that that's a theme that the writer wants to make sure we understand. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We need to embrace who we are in Jesus, church. The world today, so much about how people tend to spend their time and, and what they tend to, to rally around and value is identity, right? We have identity politics. We have all different kinds of identifiers that we place upon ourselves. And even as Christians, we do this. I, I did this in the first service, and I hope I get some love from you in the second service, right? There's no such thing as a bald Christian or a Christian with hair, right? You're just a Christian, right? Any bald people? Amen. Come on, yeah, amen, bald folks, that's right. Bald is beautiful, it's in right now, right? So John, John is addressing identities of all believers, as he says, children, fathers, and young men. While he does give particular exhortations to each of these three identities, he's actually referring to the entirety of all believers. He's referring to the entire scope of our Christian walk, as he encourages us as children, as he encourages us as young men or fathers. And these, these words he uses are, are gender neutral as well, so young men young women, fathers and mothers, because he's talking about something more uh, than a gender requirement. He's talking about a faith requirement as somebody who belongs to the family of faith. He uses two different words uh, for children. The first word he uses in, in uh, verse 12 is technion. It's a Greek word that means born ones. So if you are a child born of God, you are a born again Christian, right? You are a born child of God. And then the, the second word he uses is paideon, which means up under instruction. So as he talks to us as born again Christians, as he talks to us as disciples, as he talks to us fathers or mothers, you are, those of you who are more spiritually mature, those of you who are further along in your faith, and then as he talks to us as young men or young women, he's saying, around the age of 18 to 35, somewhere in there. This was a term that would be used in Greek culture for somewhere, someone in that age. But what he's talking about is that though you may still be young in your faith, you have received victory over the evil one. Though you, though you may still be young in your faith, you have seen how you can be an overcomer. So we're going to look at these repetitious couplets. We're going to look at children, fathers, and young men to see what God is telling us through his servant John of how we are to embrace who we are in Jesus. First, Embracing who you are in Jesus means you are forgiven. It's a great moment to shout. 
right? That's, that's, if you've been forgiven of something, that's a great moment to say hallelujah, right? I, I don't know. Maybe we got some, some perfect people in here. But uh, for me, when I hear forgiven, I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus, because I know I'm a wretch. I know I'm filthy. So in Christ, we are forgiven. And the verb that John uses here is in the perfect tense in the Greek or the beautiful tense in the Greek, which means ongoing, which means continual, which means final or forget, forever. He's saying Little children, I'm writing to you that you are the born ones, born again of God, that in Christ you are forgiven forever. That these sins that you have been forgiven of are never going to be brought back up to God again. God has forgiven you with finality. And this, this forgiveness that he's talking about, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a marvelous thing. It's so much more than a second chance. This is real freedom. John is saying that you have real freedom if you are born again in Christ because you have a newness of life every day. And what's just as remarkable as this forgiveness that we receive from God is where we get it from. As the verse continues on in, in verse 12, it says, you are forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. What does that even mean? Like, why, why would we be forgiven for the sake of someone's name? And if you study your Bible, which is a little bit more than just reading your Bible, both are very important to read your Bible and study your Bible. If you study your Bible, you'll know that in the Old Testament, names mean a whole lot. That names can often encompass your calling. Names can encompass your character. Names can encompass your reputation. So what John is saying here is that we are forgiven for his name's sake, meaning he has staked his character. He has staked his reputation he has staked the very essence of who he is in our forgiveness so if God wasn't confident about our forgiveness he wouldn't have done it for his namesake if God was wishy-washy about forgiveness he wouldn't have done it for his namesake this means my sins are not forgiven for my own namesake this means my sins aren't forgiven because I'm the special one this means I haven't done anything to earn the forgiveness of my sin that I am forgiven for his namesake as a little child as a born-again Christian for one reason it's it's based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on the cross. This is where our forgiveness comes from. So as we think about some, a, a name and what's in a name and staking a claim of, of the value or the quality of something in a name, you know, I think about like brand names, right? If you want a nice pair of tennis shoes, you'll go buy some Nikes, right? Because Nikes are good shoes. They're comfortable. They're going to last long. If you want a, a heavenly cookie that is chocolate on the outside and cream in the inside, you're going to go get an... See, you guys got it, right? See, so, so name brands are important, right? Because name brands are typically indicative of quality or typically indicative of consistency, of things that we would grow to expect from knowing this name brand. If you want forgiveness and freedom, what's the name brand you better call on? Jesus, right? That is the name brand of forgiveness. He actually founded forgiveness. He invented forgiveness. God created forgiveness from the very beginning, from when forgiveness was first needed, when Adam and Eve sinned. He then covered him and then perfected forgiveness, where wrath and mercy kiss at the cross of Christ. So if you want the best name brand out there in forgiveness, you better call on Jesus, right? You don't, you don't need to go to your next door neighbor. You don't need to go to somebody in your family. If you want forgiveness that leads to freedom, you call on the name above every name. You call on the name of Jesus, right? So this is the one who puts his name on us. So in Christ, as we embrace our identity in Jesus, as we embrace who we are in Jesus, the first thing we need to know is that we are forgiven. It grants so much. It's not just, I'm sorry, no big deal. 
It is your freedom. It's the source of your freedom. Forgiveness from sins. The second thing that we see as we embrace who we are in Jesus is that we are known by the Father and we ought to know. So we are known and we ought to know. So this encompasses children as ones who are up under instruction. That second time that John uses the word children. And then as he gets into fathers, verse 13a and 14a, uh, it repeats itself. I'm going to read it one time. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. John reminds them of this truth. He is reminding those who are more spiritually mature of the truth that you have known the one who is from the beginning, meaning you know the very beginning of all things. It's a reminder that spiritual maturity shouldn't just bring wrinkles and gray hair. It should also bring added perspective. Spiritual maturity is for those who have truly and authentically tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But why does he feel the need to say this? Why is he reminding uh, them of this? And yes, there's an intimacy that comes with knowing God over time. uh, And truly knowing the Father means truly knowing the beginning of all that there is. But just because you know something, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to live like you know it, right? How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? How many of you still speed? Do I, should I keep preaching this point or we, we got it, right? Just because you know something to be true doesn't necessarily mean that you don't need a consistent reminder. Amen, the church all said together, right? Amen, we're here to get reminders from God. So what John's saying here to the spiritually mature, to the fathers in the faith, is I'm reminding you of how good God is. I'm reminding you that you know him and you've known him as the one from the very beginning. He was the one who was there before anything else was. He was the one who was at the beginning of creating anything. And what he's reminding them of, and this, and those of you who are more spiritually mature, you know a trick when you see it, because the world might be offering you something that's going to maybe assuage your pain or or make you feel better for just a moment, that the world just invented it, right? It just came out. It's this brand new thing that just as quickly as it came, it's going to fade away. That's why he reminds the fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. You know the one who is from the very beginning. And just as an inventor of a tool knows the best usage for that tool, God knows the best usage for all things. God knows the best usage for you and your life because he is from the beginning. Amen? Amen. It's a reminder of things that they are apt to forget. Now remember, John's addressing the whole Christian walk here, and he's addressing all believers here as he talks to children, and then as he talks to to fathers, uh, embracing who you are in Jesus means you're forgiven, means you're known, and means you ought to know. The third thing is that embracing who you are in Jesus means that you are a conqueror, that you are an overcomer, that you are victorious, that you have victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave because Jesus does. Again, that's another great time to shout, church. That's another great time to get excited. So as he writes to young men, he says, I'm writing to you, young men. Why? Because you've overcome the evil one. How? Because you're strong. How would you get strong? The word of God abides in in you. So the point he's stressing to these young men is that even though you may be younger in your faith, you've still experienced victory. You've still experienced what it means to have victory over sin. So why is he telling him this on the heels of what he just told the father? He's saying, don't win all game and then give up the lead in the fourth quarter, right? Don't be winning for three quarters and then lose in the fourth quarter, right? Who saw the Clippers game on Friday night? I I bet one of you did. You did too, right? Drew, no? They were up 20 in the third, and then Steph Curry dropped 38, and then they lost, right? So he's saying, don't be like the Clippers, right? That's a message you can take with you every single Sunday, right? Don't be like the Clippers. He's saying, you've experienced victory early on in your life. Don't forget where that victory came from. 
Don't forget that it is the indwelling word of God that causes you to be strong. Not your youth that grants you strength. It's the indwelling word of God. 2 Peter 2 says this, that the word implanted in you is able to save your souls. That this is where the strength comes from. Not your youth, you know, not your lack of experience. It is the indwelling word of God. It's the only way that you have found victory over the evil one. Our strength and ability to overcome the evil one ultimately has two, two sources. So as John has just addressed, uh, basically to embrace who you are in Christ for the entirety of the Christian walk. As someone who's born again, as someone who's young and up under instruction, as a young man or young woman, and then as a father or mother, somebody who's spiritually mature. He's just addressed our entire Christian walk and told us how to have victory over sin in our lives. There's, there's really two things that give us this victory. It's the work of Christ for us and the word of God in us. The work of Christ for us and the word of God in us. Because Satan and his demons, right, that they will uh, call you out of your name on one hand and tempt you on the other hand, right? That they will make false accusations against you on one hand and then tempt you to do something crazy on the other hand. This is what John is saying to us. He's saying that the work of Christ calls you a child, calls you forgiven, that even if you're tempted to hold on to some of those things that you've asked God for forgiveness for, you know he's granted you forgiveness because it says it in his word, but you're still walking around holding on to it, that's just lack of belief. That's just not believing God is able to forgive. And that's, that's holding on to us. So many of us are walking around with those kinds of insecurities. I, I imagine that the, actually probably the majority of us up under the sound of my voice are walking around with those kinds of insecurities. So the work of Christ and then the word of God dwelling in you these are the things that defend us against the evil one. Because Christ called us forgiven, called us sons, called us daughters, called us healed, called us holy, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. This is what Christ on the cross purchased for us. But then the word of God abiding in us has to do something, right? That has to keep us strong. That's what we have to continue to be reminded of as we continue. We know that we have this definitive victory, right? We're going to address this uh, in two weeks. 1 John 3, 8, when the, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And anyone who's sinning is working on the devil. But what did Christ do? What did the son do? The, the son came to destroy the works of the devil. So we know that there's victory over sin. I think we know it, but sometimes we're apt to forget it. And, and as we embrace all that we are in Jesus. How many of you want to win the victory in Jesus? So, so right now we're going to draw some plays up, okay? We're going to run the plays, and this is how we're going to win the game. Got it? Yes. One person is on the team. Hallelujah. Break. Right. All right. Real good. I'm glad, I'm glad it's you, brother. So uh, even though they lost last night, one of my favorite football coaches is Ron Rivera uh, for a few reasons. Mostly because his nickname is Riverboat Ron. And I would just love to be that cool one day. Like, I just think it's a great nickname. But anyway, the Washington football team, they lost last night. It wasn't because of him. I don't think. He's great, right? Great football coach. Uh, he's really like a tough guy. Like a man's man. Like, was a linebacker. When he played football, coached the Carolina Panthers and now coaches the Washington football team. Real, real tough guy. Real man's man. He actually had like life-threatening cancer all season long and would get chemo during the week and then would get like IV treatment at halftime so he could go back out and coach, right? He's a tough guy, right? He's a guy's guy. But this is something that all of his players would say he's been saying since he's been coaching. Ron Rivera's kind of MO is to tell his players to feed their inner ape. To give strength and energy to their inner ape. And he's not talking about a primate necessarily. He's talking about attitude, preparation, and effort. So everybody say it with me. Attitude, preparation, 
and effort. This is your inner ape that you have to feed, right? And Ron Rivera is telling these guys to do this on the football field. And I think John is telling us to do much of the same thing. That if we, wanna, we want victory over sin, these are the plays that we have to run. It starts with attitude. The attitude needs to be you are in a war, you have an enemy, and as the Puritan pastor John Owen put it, you better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We have to have the attitude that we are in a fight, right? How many of you ever been sucker punched? Anybody ever been jumped? Come on. Come on, anybody out there with me? Oh, yeah. It, was it fun? No, it was not fun. I'm telling you you're in a fight, so don't get sucker punched, right? Don't get jumped by the devil. Don't get jumped by his demons. We are in a fight right now, so we need to have the attitude that we need to be fighting against sin. And how does that happen? The work of Christ for us, the word of God in us. So attitude, preparation. We can't prepare ourselves necessarily for this, but if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is doing the preparation inside of you. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit is working to put to death in your flesh sin. That there is this, this battle that's going on, so you've got to have the attitude. You've got to be prepared by the Holy Spirit of the living God. You've got to let him tell you what you're supposed to be doing, and we have to read the scriptures to understand what we're supposed to do. We know it's his work primarily that gets us victory over sin, but then E, effort. You got to do something about it, church, right? We have to do something about it. We can't just mentally assent to the gospel and say, yeah, I believe that, and then not do anything different and continue to look just like the world does and continue to act just like the world does. The effort means we have to engage in Christian community, right? We, we've talked about this time and time again. Sometimes the only way through is together, that we are a spiritual family on mission. And if you are refusing to engage in community, we're not putting forth the right effort. We're not putting forth the effort that we are called to put forth because the word says it, John says it here, that if we confess our sins one to another, what does God do? He is faithful and just, righteous, to forgive them. So we need to be feeding our inner ape if we want this victory. We need to have the right attitude. We need to have the right preparation. And we need to put forth the effort. So as we embrace all that we are in Jesus, as we embrace all of this identity that Jesus grants us, being his children, his disciples, the young men and young women, and, and spiritual fathers and mothers, what's the next thing? What, what are we supposed to do next? How are we supposed to behave? How are we supposed to act after this? You know, point number one was we embrace who we are in Jesus. Point number two is you reject what the world has to offer. You embrace who you are in Jesus and you reject what the world has to offer. This is the, the next best step forward, the next logical step for us, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here we get kind of one of John's above all messages. He's saying that for anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And as he gives us this in verse 15, what he's saying is uh, love in a committed way, love in a dedicated way, love in a way where we're investing assets, investing our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimony, our love, our families, everything that we are, investing it into a worldly system that God hates and God rejects. That's why he's saying anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because love requires a commitment. No husband can love his wife and another woman in the same dedicated way and they'll both be pleased. Amen? Amen. 
If you're a husband, you give a big amen for that. Like, I'm, I'm really trying to help you, right? Like, your wives are going to be like, thank you for saying amen. That's, that's okay. Y'all just got to be ready to say amen when I tell you. I'm trying to help you, husbands. I'm a husband myself, right? I, I know when you need the points, right? So you got to get them in church. It's a great time to do it. Some Christians, and, and I think we know who we are, not we know who they are, we know who we are, that are enamored with the world, that want to look just like the world, that want to look just like our neighbors so that we won't get picked on, so that we might fit in, so that we might look cool and feel cool. And God says, through John, if that kind of love is in you, then the love of the Father isn't. There isn't room for both. You can't enjoy your freedoms in Christ that cause you to sin in the ways of the world and still have the love of the Father in you. Now, this is kind of paradoxical, so we've got to spend a little bit of time here. That we've been gifted freedom in Christ. We have free will given from God, but we also have freedom in Christ. The primary freedom we have in Christ is the ability not to sin, right? The freedom to choose not to sin. That's our primary freedom that we have in Christ. But many of us abuse our freedoms in Christ, right? That I'm a Christian, so I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I'm going to be forgiven. That I, I, I'm, I'm here in the freest nation on earth. I can act however I want to act because God said so. And God loves America. And I'm not saying those things are wrong necessarily. I'm saying you individually need to be careful about abusing freedoms in Christ. Because when we abuse freedoms in Christ to serve the world's purposes, that is the kind of love that God hates and God rejects. But freedoms in Christ were given to us to serve God's purposes. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, right? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but nothing will dominate me. So what he's saying is even though I can do whatever I want, I'm not going to do whatever I want. That's a, just, just say amen if you get it. Just, just be quiet and listen if you don't because you need to, right? You, you got to get this. Just because I can doesn't mean I should, right? That is what Paul's saying. Just because I can do this doesn't mean I should. Freedoms in Christ that, that tend to enslave us or tend to put us further into the world system is not what God wants from us. Because loving the world fully and loving God fully is not possible. God said so in his word. Now we may be asking like, but didn't, didn't Jesus say God so loved the world? Why are we talking about hating the world? Because, again, we have to define what this is. John is talking about systems and values and adoption of, of platforms and parties and ideas that fall short of God's word, work, wills, and ways, right? So he's saying there is a system in the world that exists to fight against God. That there is a worldly system with a huge assist from Satan that is taking our affections away from God. He's not saying that you shouldn't love creation. He's not saying that you shouldn't love the world and all the people in it. That's one of the ways that John uses it. Primarily here in John 3.16, this is what he's talking about. Not just creation, it's creation and all the people in it. But it is this idea of of this, this culture that is pointed against God. John's not saying reject every aspect of culture because there's many aspects of culture that actually do point to the Father. There's many aspects of culture that actually give glory to God. He's saying you can't adopt all the aspects of culture. You can't look just like somebody else who is not in Christ and say the love of the Father is in you. He expands it in, in verses 16 and 17 where he gives three motivations or three kind of clarifying reasons. I want us to repeat after me. The world cannot offer you what you need. 
The world cannot offer you what it promises. The world cannot offer you what lasts. So we're going to look at these three things as we uh, head towards the end of this message today. The world can't offer you what you need. As forgiven children of God, when we have needs, who should we go to for them? God our Father. But the world is very quick to offer us things that we think we need, right? God has, has given us a calling on our lives if we are believers, if we're followers. Everybody wants to be validated. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to feel relatively good, right? Like these are all things that we want, and God wants to give it to us. But just like the name brand of forgiveness is Jesus, right, and you want good tennis shoes, you get Nikes or Adidas, or you want, you know, good cookies, you get Oreos, the, the world is offering something different. The world is offering knockoffs. The world is offering fake love. The world is offering fake validation. And Satan knows exactly how to do it. And these three things, that the world can't give us what we need, can't give what it promises, and can't give what lasts, are filled out in three primary ways. The pride of the flesh, or excuse me, the desires, of the, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life. I'm tempted to say lust of the flesh because that's just how I grew up. Uh, on, the, on that. So the pride, excuse me, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. We need to be very careful, church, as we look at these three things that, that really come out in our appetites, our affections, and our ambitions. John is telling us that this is the way that the world is tempting you. This is the way that Satan wants to entrap you. This is the way that the enemy is trying to get you to lose. And it's not a new trick. It's the same thing that's been going on from the very beginning. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. What happened in the garden, right? There was a tree that God told Adam and Eve, when you eat this, you will die, right? Not like... It's going to go bad for you or there's going to be a consequence. When you eat of this, you shall surely die on that day. And then what does the enemy come along and say? She's like, she's like did, did God, did he, did he really say that? Hath God said, right? Did, did he really say that you would die? And then what happens when Eve looks at the tree? She sees the fruit and sees that it's good for food. The desires of the flesh, right? I want to eat. I want food. And then what? It was a delight to the eyes. The desires of the eyes. And then what? It had the power to make you wise. The pride of life. These are the same tricks the enemy has been using since the beginning. What happened with Jesus and Satan in the desert? The same exact things, right? Satan says to Jesus, hey, you've been out here a while. You must be hungry. Go ahead, turn that rock into bread, right? You, you must be hungry. Tempting the desires of the flesh. And then what does he do? He brings them up to the top of the temple, on the pinnacle of the temple, and says, all that you see can be yours. Tempting the desires of the eyes. And then says, go ahead and jump down if or since you're the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, and if God actually loves you, jump down. He'll command his angels concerning you, lest you strike your foot against a rock. Nothing will happen to you. Tempting the pride of his life. These are the same tricks that Satan has been using over and over and over and over again. Because he knows our appetite, our affections, and our ambitions are easy to be fooled. Right? We all have an appetite. 
And eating is not necessarily bad, but eating the entire tin of Christmas cookies is probably not what you're supposed to do, right? Again, all things are lawful for me. I can eat all of this, but am I supposed to, right? And as we look at appetites, we also all have an appetite for love. We all want to feel love, don't we? But then when the world says with that, that man or that woman that keeps calling you or texting you late at night saying, oh, I love you, baby, come on over. And you're like, no, 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 I, I know I'm not supposed to do this. But I know many of us have fallen prey to this. I hear it happening over here, right? <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. We're, we're family. It's, it's good. Satan knows how to tempt our appetites. Satan knows how to tempt our affections. And, and many of us who have grown up in church, which is not me, I learned, these, I learned all the kids' songs when I had kids, right? So we started singing these songs, and I felt really bad that I didn't know any of the songs, so I had to learn them. But you guys probably can complete this lyric for me very quickly. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You've heard it. Carolyn's heard it. So Satan knows how to tempt our appetite. Satan knows how to tempt our affections. That just because you have gates here to look at things doesn't mean you should be looking at them. Just because you have gates here to listen to things doesn't mean you should let everything in to your ears. So remember, it's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? And we understand that these are the ways that we're consistently tempted. Ambition is the final one that we look at. That, that ambition can cause us to brag or exaggerate about the things that we have. And, and this might be a newsflash to some people, but just because you're rich does not mean you're spiritual. Amen? Okay, good. And also, just because you have little and you live a life of simplicity does not mean you're spiritual either. What makes you spiritual? Being spiritual is what makes you spiritual, right? The indwelling word of God, obey, obedient to his command, is what makes us spiritual. So the world cannot offer us what we need, but it's, it's consistently trying to tell us that you need this, you need that, you need him, you need her. This is the power that you need to go get because you deserve it. The world cannot offer us what we need. The world cannot offer us even what it promises. It's promising power, authority, love, well-being. It's promising all these things to us, but it doesn't have the authority to do it because it can't produce genuine goods, right? Forgiveness and freedom, what's the brand, what's the brand name we need to run to when we want forgiveness and freedom? Jesus, right? So we're going to look at a couple brand names up here, and these are worldly brand names. These are the brands that the world is trying to give to us, like Let's, let's go to the other ones. The second ones, please, Annika. Keep going. One more. Yes. When you want a pair of Nikes, how many of you have ever seen a pair of Mikeys? Come on, some of you have seen it out there, right? This, and I'm not dogging anybody, right? Times have been tough for all of us. I'm not trying to get down on anybody, right? We said Oreos are from heaven, but how many of you have ever had a cream between? Come on, I, I have. We've, we've been there. It's okay, right? You know where to get these. And then there's one more. This is my favorite one. Adidas, right? It's, it's, it's something different. And like, you know, we, we can laugh about shoes and cookies and hats. And the world is saying, I know you want love, so I'm going to give you lust. The world is saying, I know you want validation, so I'm going to give you fake authority. I'm going to give you fake power. The world is saying, I know what you want deep in your soul, so I'm going to create something that looks like that, even though it's going to pass away, even though it's not the real thing. The world can't even offer what it promises because fake love is not real love. 
fake love that's going to pass away is the thing that God hates. God rejects the love the world embraces. So as we look at these knockoffs up here, it's easy for us to laugh and poke fun at it and have fun. But, but there's some real life knockoffs out there, right? There's some real life men and women that are trying to tell you, oh, baby, I love you, right? That's not God's love. That's not what this is unless that's your husband or your wife or they're according you to be a husband and a wife, right? Amen. Go ahead and say it out loud. Everybody, amen. Good. Man-made promises that if you vote for me, I promise to end this oppression. No man has that authority. Only Christ has that authority. So as we look at systems and platforms and parties and shadow with no substance, it's not all just benign. It affects us deeply. When we have a closet full of spiritual knockoffs, that affects us deeply. When we don't know what real love actually looks like or feels like, then you're going to con- continue to settle for fake love. When you don't know what real affirmation from the Father feels like, you're going to continue to fall for fake affirmation. So we have to go back to this, church. So this, this is the last one, that the world can't offer you what lasts. It can't offer you what you need. It can't even offer you what it promises, and it cannot offer what lasts. And I know, let's just take a sample set, maybe the last 10 months or so, a lot of us have been asking the question, like, what will last? When all this is over, what will remain? Or when so-and-so or such-and-such gets in office, what will endure? Or when he said or she said is going to come through and take care of me, what will last? What will remain? We have all been asking these questions. I know we have. But the answer is not found in anything the world offers. Nothing that the world offers can answer these questions. The Bible says it is passing away. The Bible says it is not from the Father. The Bible says that all the people whose desires are bound up in it are also passing away. So we're holding on to fake love and then it just disintegrates in our hand. And we're left wondering, why am I hurt so bad? We're left wondering... What, what temporary fix can I go chase? What can I do tonight to make me not feel pain that's going to make me wake up with a headache in the morning? Who can I call to make me not be so lonely right now, but I'm going to wake up with regret in the morning? That we have to understand that only God's love is the love that will last forever. The word says only who, whoever does the will of God will abide forever. The world is passing away and all of the things in it with it. By God's promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. We are looking for redemption. We are looking for renewal. We are looking for regeneration. We are looking for a place where goodness and righteousness dwell. We are looking toward a place where there's no pain, no sadness, no tears. And if you don't identify as a child, a young man, young woman, or spiritual mother or spiritual father, you're going to keep looking to the world for all these things. We're going to keep following the way of sin. The word says that you were following the prince of the power of the air until you weren't. But God, there is a moment that that can change for us. So as we look at the history of our lives, we're going to have a couple funerals at this church in the next week. And I don't think they knew they were going to die when they died. We don't know. But I want to encourage us all right now to think about your life. To think about, I'm not trying to scare anybody with judgment day. I don't have to scare you, it's coming, it's in the Bible. But I am trying to encourage us to look at our lives. Do I love what the world loves more than I love what God loves? At my funeral will people say, man, he loved his truck. Or will they say, I know that brother loved Jesus. 
at my funeral where they say they just really didn't want to move out of that zip code. They, they really went hard for the 48340. Or are they going to say they knew they had a home that was better than any place they lived? So why would we take or receive from the world things that we don't need, promises that will never come true, things that don't last, when we have a, lovingly, a loving heavenly father who loves us and wants us and wants us to be born again as his children and wants us to be instructed as his disciples and wants us to have victory over the evil one by the word of God dwelling inside of us and wants us not to forget where all this love came from, where the tasting and seeing that the Lord is good has come from. We have to embrace who we are in Jesus so we can reject what the world offers. But if we want to continue to be satisfied with knockoffs, you're going to continue to be let down by the product, right? But if we want to go to the brand name that's never been disappointing, right? The brand name that is the only one that founded forgiveness, that founded freedom, that founded love, that founded all these things that we're chasing, then we have to go to Jesus, right? The brand name is only found in one place, in Christ. You got to go in Christ to find all these things that are found in Jesus. We're going to sing a new song, church. Last week we talked about if you've forgotten something along the way. That we're in this series called Forgotten Virtue and that many of us might have forgotten love along the way. And as we're on this journey or we're on this mission and you forgot something at home that is critical to the success of your journey and your mission, what do you do if you're smart? You turn around. You say, I need that. You say, oh, I forgot something at home. I need that. And this is where home is. But if your home is still not found in heaven, if your home is not found in Christ, then when you go back home, you're going to continue to get knockoffs. You're going to continue to get stuff that's not genuine. But, but God is, he's, he's granting extreme home makeovers right now, right? Like you, wherever you live right now can be changed and your, your home forever, eternally can be found in heaven. And you can go back home and get the things that you lost, like love, patience, kindness, forgiveness, long suffering, all, the, all these beautiful things. Peace, joy that we know we need. You can go back home and get it. If you were here last week, we talked about that thoroughly. This week, though, are you ready to go back and, and return those counterfeit items? Are you ready to go back and return those knockoff bags that you bought, those knockoff clothes that you're wearing, the knockoff shoes that you have, the knockoff cookies you're eating? Are you ready to go back and return those things to the world so that you can exchange it for the love that God wants to put in your heart? So you can exchange it for the love of the Father living in you. And this song that we're about to sing is called To You. Wendell's gonna teach it to us, but the premise is I'm running back to you, God. I'm coming back to you because I'm sick of knockoffs, because I'm sick of things that never deliver, because I'm sick of pain over and over and over again. I'm sick of the lies of the world that are passing away. I'm sick of people trying to tell me that they have all the answers when all the answers are found right here in Jesus. Are you going to return your knockoff goods today? Are you going to go back home and pick up what you left behind so that we can continue forward towards our home in heaven? So church, as we sing this song today, I want to invite you to stand to your feet, please. This can be your anthem. This can be more than a song. This can be uh, the declaration you're making to God, the promise you're making to God that I am running back to you. I am coming back to you because I've left too much at home, because I don't have what I need for the success of my mission or my journey. No matter where you are, 
you can sing this song and make this the cry of your heart right now. I'm going to close us in a brief prayer, and we're going to worship Father in heaven in the mighty name of Jesus. We're embracing who we are in you right now. If our lives, however, are not found hidden with you, may we repent of our sin and run to you today. May we run away from what the world is offering that we don't need, isn't what it promises and cannot last. And may we give you back all of our appetite, all of our affection, all of our ambition. Because you're the only one who's worthy to fulfill it. You're the only one who can give us that which is lasting. Your word says that whoever does the will of God abides forever. May we be found in your will today. Receive our worship. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your mighty name. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.